we need to rethink what it means to be rich. And I'm so excited about this current teaching series we kicked off last week because we live in a society that needs to rethink what it means to be rich, to live rich, to be fulfilled, to have joy and happiness and fulfillment. It's a tremendous need for us. And if you weren't here last week, maybe you were away with the holiday weekend. I mean, let me just recap just how, how blessed we are as a nation, as a people, to, to live where we live, to do life where we get to do life. I, I, I just want to remind us that we are incredibly blessed. We are a people with so much. In fact, we're people with more than most throughout the history of the world. The, the average global annual salary is $18,000. The, the average annual salary worldwide is about $18,000. The gross national income in the United States per capita is $47,320, which means... <laughs> that we are on average in the United States among the wealthiest people in the world and really in the history of the world. We, we are today among the top 3% of the richest people in the world at an average per capita income of 47,000. In fact, if you make $41,000 a year, you are in the top 3% of income earners in the world. We are incredibly blessed. Three billion people in the world live on less than $2 a day, about $730 a year. And so when we think about what it means to be rich, we need to rethink it a little bit because we are among the most wealthy people who have ever lived. But yet, here's what I have seen in our society. Most people don't feel rich. In fact, if you were just like, give a survey. If we were to take a survey today, if you were to distribute a survey to people you work with and people you live with in your community say, are you rich? Do you consider yourself rich? Most people would say no. We think of, you know, rich people as uh, the Warren Buffetts of the world. Those people are, are rich. Elon Musk is rich, right? And, and so if you were just to distribute a survey, hey, are you rich? Do you feel rich? Most people say, no, I'm not rich. Most people say I'm middle class. And here's what we fail to understand. Throughout the history of the world, in most societies, there is no middle class. If you travel the world today and you go to most societies, what you will find is most societies don't have a middle class. You have a few wealthy and a lot of people who live in relative poverty. The fact that most people in America live in some form of middle class is an indication that we are among the most wealthy people in the world. <laughs> but yet, as a people who are among the most wealthy in the world, we don't often feel wealthy. We don't feel rich. We don't feel like we're living rich. That's why if you were to ask most people, are you rich? They would say, no, I'm not rich. Elon Musk is rich. I'm not rich. And there are a few reasons I think this is true. First of all, margin. Most people don't live with enough margin. And if you make 50,000 a year, but you spend 52,000 a year, guess what? You're not going to feel very rich. Now, at 50,000 a year for a household income, you're, you're among the most wealthy in the world. But if you spend 50 or 52, you're not going to feel very rich. If you make 500,000 a year, but you spend 498,000 of it every year, you're not going to feel very rich. In fact, you'll feel less rich than somebody that makes 50,000 and only spends 46. 
And so for many people in our society, there's a margin problem. Like we don't live, most people don't live with enough margin. And so no matter where you are in income, if you don't have enough margin, you're not gonna feel very rich. Secondly, comparison. Not only do we have a margin problem, we have a comparison problem. This, this extends just to our hearts, but certainly it's prevalent in our society. We're always comparing ourselves to someone who's a step ahead, someone who has more. And, and the trap of that is you feel like if I make $50,000, you know, if I can just get to 75 and live like my friends who make 75, then I'll have it made. And you make 75 for a while and think, you know, if I can just be like my friends who make 100,000 a year, man, then we'll be good. And you make 100,000, man, if I can just be like my friends who make 150,000, then I'll be good. And, and you're always chasing, you're always comparing. And here's what you learn when you live long enough is that there's always someone who has something you don't have. There's always someone in your circle of peers who's living in a way that you aren't living. And, and, and when you play that game, and no matter how much you make, you can fall into the trap of playing that game. You know, you're always chasing and you're never truly enjoying, and, and that's a problem. Let me give you an example, right? Like, like for those of us that fly coach, right? We think like, oh, there's a whole other world behind this curtain called first class. And if I just get to the point where I fly first class and I don't have the middle seat, then, then I will have arrived, right? And you're thinking, I thought Jesus tore the veil between the, no, not that veil, right? And so there's this veil. If I can just get on the other side of that veil and then you get on the other side of that veil, maybe you get to the other, other side of that veil and there's only two seats, you know, in, in, in your section and you have real silverware with your meals, right? And you think, oh, I mean, if I can get to there and then, and then you know what happens when you get there? And then, then, you, then you discover there are people in your friend circle they don't fly first class, they, they, they fly chartered. And then you realize, oh man, there's a whole other world out there. Like I was in coach and actually I was in the middle seat in coach and then I got to the aisle seat and then I got to the emergency row, right? And then I got to first class and you're feeling good about first class for all until you learn about this whole other world that you can charter flights and people charter flights and it's more on their schedule. And like, oh man, if I can just make enough and get to that point where I can do that. And then you start chartering flights and you realize oh, there are people who own planes and they have their own pilots and, and, and they treat air travel like most of us treat car travel. And like, if they want to go to Miami or they want to, you know, go to Atlanta, they just, they just schedule it. They drive up to their plane, they get on their plane and they go and it's no big deal for them. And, and, then, and then if you're in coach, you think, oh, if I could get to first class, you're in first class, you realize, oh man, there's charters. And you get in charters, you're like, oh my goodness, there's people who, who like they have their own planes and pilots. And, and, and then you listen, you, you can be so blessed in a certain situation, but if you're always looking and chasing what's next and what's better and what someone else has, you'll never feel rich. You say, oh man, if I can just get that second home, I got this little condo. And then you go to your little condo for a while and you're like, man, there's people who actually have a home. And you get that home, but it's three blocks removed from the ocean. There's people who live on the ocean. I mean, you can just play this game all day, every day. And if you're not creating enough margin and you're playing the game of comparison, you're just not gonna feel rich. And then, and then finally, listen, it, it's hard to feel rich when you have wrong expectation. There are a lot of people, they have a margin problem, they have a comparison problem, or they have an expectation problem. Let me talk to those of you in your 20s, those of you, you're in our student ministry here, you're in high school, you're, you're prepping for college, or those of you who just got married maybe. Listen, listen to me very, very carefully. It's not the norm for you to start where your parents end. Like that's not normal. For some it may happen and that's great, but that's the exception, not the rule. And, 
there, there's some of us, you know, like we, we've been accustomed to living a certain way with, with our parents and maybe with our home and our car and all this other stuff. And then we get on our own and we think, okay, that's how I'm going to live. And you know what? Some of you, you know, your parents, they've, they've worked 30, 40 years. They've saved, they've invested, they've, they've been diligent and wise. And where they end is probably not where you're going to start. And so for whatever reason, like we kind of live in this world where if it's margin, comparison, expectation, we just don't feel rich. And therefore we really need to rethink what it means to be rich, not just financially, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally. What does it really look like to live a life that we would categorize as rich? And, and what we saw last week is you gotta have the right value system. And you gotta value the right things in the right way, in the right order. And, and, and when your value system gets out of whack, what happens is you begin to chase some things that will never bring the fulfillment that they promise. And money's one of those things. That's why Solomon, like the wisest man who ever lived ahead of Jesus, right? Before the ministry of Jesus, right? The wisest man who lived and the man who actually had the most actually said this in Ecclesiastes 5. Look at this. He says, those who love money will never have enough. Isn't it crazy that this was true in Solomon's day? Before first class and chartered flights, <laughs> like before the latest iPhone dropped and all, the, you know what I mean? Like Solomon, all these years ago, guess what? Had the same heart issue. Like if you set your heart on money, if you set your, 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 your happiness in life on money and stuff and having more and, and being ahead of others, <clears throat> you'll never have enough. There's always somebody else. There's always something else. And he says, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And then he says this, I love it. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> Isn't that a good word? That is the truth. We call those people children. Okay, that's what we call them, okay? The more you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. And so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? You're not taking it with you when you die. And if you're living for it, <clears throat> you'll never have enough of it. I mean, that's just such a crazy principle, but it's true. If that's what you're living for, if you're living for money, if you're living for wealth, right? If you're living to be rich, and to feel rich, you'll actually never feel rich. If you don't live with margin, if you're always playing the game of comparison, if you have wrong expectation, you will never feel rich, even though most of us are rich, all right? And so here's what Solomon is saying. Money will no, be no guarantee to make you happy. All right, this is so important for us to understand. Money is no guarantee to make life happier. Now, let me say this, money makes life easier Right? I would love to have my own pilot and plane. Anybody with me on that? You know what? I, forget that. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be greedy. You know what? I'll take just a helicopter so I don't have to navigate traffic on Lithia Pinecrest. Anybody with me? I'll just take a helicopter. Again, I don't want to be greedy. I mean, sure. Who wouldn't love it? I mean, right? Uh, wealth brings things into your life that make life easier. There's no question. But listen to Solomon's wisdom. There's no guarantee it will make you happier. Because you know what money does? Money magnifies who you truly are. Money is a magnifier. It will make your life easier, but it's no guarantee to make your life happier. It will simply magnify who you are and what you value. In other words, if you're a selfish, stingy person, 
Wealth will magnify the fact that you are a selfish, stingy person. If you are a generous person, money will magnify your generosity. That's why people who are generous are generous with a little and they're generous with a lot. People who are selfish and stingy are stingy with a little and they're stingy with a lot. Money is a magnifier. It magnifies who you truly are. And I love what Solomon was saying. You know, if you live for it, you'll never be happy from it. You'll never get enough of it. And then other people will begin to leech off of you. And you'll find people trying to interact with you on the basis of what you have and not really who you are. And that's another complicating factor. And so here's what Solomon's teaching us. If you put a little money, you sprinkle a little bit of money on the weird and crazy in your family, guess what? It magnifies the weird and the crazy. And let's just be honest, all of us have a little weird and crazy in our families. And if you're sitting there today, you're connecting online today and you're like, I don't think I have any weird or crazy in my family. It's you, okay? (laughs) It's you, because we all have a little weird or a little crazy. And here's what money does. You spring a little money on that weird and crazy, it gets more weird and crazy. Money is a magnifier. It magnifies what you most value. It magnifies the good in your life and the bad in your life. And Solomon makes it clear, the man who had more money than he could spend, the love of it will never truly satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. And it's deceptive in such a way, we talked about this last week, it's deceptive in such a way that you can have a lot of it and not actually feel like you do. It's amazing, you know, how easy it is to focus on what we don't have instead of being grateful for what we do have. And so we need to rethink, we need to rethink what it means to be rich and what it means to live rich, okay? And so here's what we're gonna do. Today, we're gonna talk about managing And then the next two weeks, we're going to talk about mastering and multiplying. And in these next three weeks, we're going to build off last week of of valuing the right things in the right way. And and today, we're we're going to talk about what that looks like to actually manage well what God's entrusted to us in a way to where we're living rich with margin, without comparison, and with appropriate expectation. And that begins with a very simple principle. Let me give it to you. Let me encourage you to take this down, all right? That wise money management is built on the foundation of stewardship, not ownership. Okay, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about this, all right? And that's what I'm trying to unpack over the next several weeks here. There's a lot to say. The Lord has said a lot about how we utilize what we have and how we approach it, right? And, and here's the foundation of it all. I just want you to see the foundation of, of, of managing wisely what we have is to see ourselves as stewards, not owners. Like, like all that we have here, it's not actually ours. We actually should hold it fairly loosely. Do you know why? Because it's not actually ours and we're not taking it with us when we die. Like we should actually hold relatively loosely what we have because the one who actually owns it could take it or he could give more of it. And so often we're trying to hold so tightly to what we have. We're trying to pursue some standard of living or some income level or some status. Like, and that, that's just the bend, the arc of our society, right? Our entire culture is built on the precipice that if you get more, you will feel more. And that's just a lie. Some of the most miserable people on planet earth are among the most wealthy people on planet earth. And 
And so this whole trajectory that's being introduced to us over and over and over again in our society, that if you, if you can get to a place of a certain amount of wealth that, well, then, you know, you'll be happy. That's just, that's just a lie. It's deceitful. And so, so many people are trying to cling to this, right? They're, they're owning. They see themselves as owners. And, and man, that's just a trap. We're not owners. We're stewards. Listen, the Lord owns it all. And when you come to understand that, I mean, really understand it in your financial management, it'll radically change what you tether your heart to and how you utilize what you have. We're stewards, not owners. That frees us, right? And, and the Lord reminds his people of this. This is an amazing thing. Like, let me take back to Psalm 50. This is one of my favorite Psalms because in this Psalm, you're gonna see here God rebuking his people for thinking that he needs what they have. I mean, this is how messed up we get as people sometimes. We think that God needs what we have. Like we're owners, like this all depends upon us, right? And, and so Israel foolishly thought like their sacrificial system and their worship and all this, like it, it, was, it was built upon the, 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 the conviction that God needed it, right? And so God actually rebukes them. And you're gonna recognize a verse here, no doubt. Um, if you've been around church a while, it's in this context, but I want, I want to show you what it really means here. God says, I don't need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. Watch this now. Here's what you'll recognize. For all the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Israel's like, well, God needs what we have, right? I mean, look, look how dependent our God is on us. Like he, he needs what we're offering. We, he needs what we're doing. And, and God, God's like, excuse me, I don't need your bulls. I don't need anything you have. I don't need your cattle. All the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I'll never forget, like growing up in church and you hear people say, oh, praise the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's not how the Lord said it. Like this is not some sweet by and by, oh, the Lord owns it. Don't worry about it. The Lord owns it. No, the Lord took his people behind the woodshed, got a switch off the tree and put it across their backside. Now we used to do that sort of thing. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about because you're spoiled, okay? But I'm just saying like, Okay, this is a woodshed moment, Psalm 50. Let me see it again. This is, this, is a, this is a woodshed moment. Let me go back to verse 10, okay? I just want to see this one more time. I own the cattle on a thousand. This is not a sweet by and by. This is the Lord rebuking his people behind the woodshed saying, who do you think you are to suggest that I need what you have? This is like your four-year-old coming up to you saying, um, excuse me, dad, but... Um, no, 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 no. That's my bed in my room. <laughs> oh, really? Really? That's your room now? No, 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 that's not your room. That's my room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's my nightstand. No, 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 no. That's my toothbrush you're using. I bought that for you, right? That's my Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> and dad gives and dad can take away. And dad can take away Mickey Mouse. He can do it. Right? Like you can imagine a four-year-old. Dad, no, you can't come in here. This is my room. This is my stuff. That's Israel. And God's like, excuse me, 
Everything in the forest is mine. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. You understand the context here? This is a rebuke. This is who do you think you are to think that you own anything? And then the Lord continues. Okay, here, here we go. Verse 11, I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. And then he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for all the world in mine is mine and everything in it. And this, dear ones, should free us in how we manage what we have because as stewards and not owners, our confidence is ultimately in the one who can give freely to us at any point he so chooses. Our hope is in the one who has promised to provide for every need and not lead us to be in want. This frees us to work hard, to manage wisely, to trust the Lord with what we have and what we need because he owns it all. And listen to me very, very carefully. The Lord could bless you with more just like that. You think this is hard for him? Do you think the one who created this world, this universe, the one who by the word of his power holds it all together has any difficulty in throwing you a few hundred or a few thousand dollars? Do you think that's too hard for him? Do you think that the one who sent his son to shed his own blood for you in your place for your sin, the one who actually saved you by his grace and his eternal power, do you, do you think he's going to allow you to be in need? No. He's got you. And so then our privilege and our responsibility, especially in our culture where we are so blessed and we're grateful for that. Listen, I hope you understand. It's, it's not about feeling guilty about that. It's about being grateful. And then seeing the opportunities that we have then to manage wisely so that we make a difference. And that starts with this foundational principle that we are the stewards he is the owner. And therefore, as we're putting together then a strategy for how we wisely steward, let me give you three biblical principles of what that looks like. Because thankfully the Lord has told us. I love this. He's told us. All right. And so, and so let, me, let, me, let me just walk you through three principles then of managing stewarding wisely. First of all, write this down. All right. Build on a budget. Build on a budget. You need to know how much is coming in and you need to know how much is going out. You need to know where it's going out. You need to know why it's going out, okay? Let me challenge you, let me encourage you, if you're not doing this yet, to build on a budget, to know what's coming in and to know, more importantly, <laughs> what is going out. Jesus gave us this principle, Luke 14, 28. Check this out, here's what Jesus said. Don't begin until you count the cost. You don't start something. Take on something without first counting the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it, right? He says, otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone will laugh at you. If Jesus were here today, here's what he would say. You, if you don't count the cost, no, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back, leave it right, oh, 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 right here. Okay, if Jesus were like, here's what Jesus would say today. If he were here right now, here's what he would say. He'd say, if you build something that you can't finish, all right, and you run out of money before you can finish it, everyone will post on Facebook about you. 
They will have TikToks about you. They will be snapping about you. They will be posting on the gram about you. Hey, look at this foundation this person finished but they can't do anything else with it. They ran out of money. They're saying, okay, that's what Jesus is saying. They're being laughing at right? Like, like if you tried to get into something and you couldn't finish it because you didn't budget, you didn't plan, you didn't count the cost, right? Like you would be foolish. And then here's what the people would say when they posted about you, okay? There's the person that started a building and couldn't afford to finish it. Now, actually, Jesus gave us these words in the context of following him and being a disciple. And he's saying, you know what? You got to count the cost on following me. And he gave this example, and we've done that, have we not? And here's what we've determined at Bell Shoals. If you're new, I just want you to understand, this is what we're all about as a people. We believe that Jesus is our savior. He's the savior of the world. And we believe that he is worth sacrificing for. He is worth living for. We believe with all of our hearts that Jesus as our savior and our king is the one who is worthy of all that we have. And we believe we're gonna spend all eternity with him. Right? So we've counted the cost and what we've determined is by God's grace is Jesus is worth following. Now, because of that, let's just look at the practicality of what Jesus gave us here in the example, right? Who would build a tower they couldn't finish? (laughs) That would be a foolish thing to do. And so if we apply that to how we steward what he owns, what does that mean? Well, it means we ought to have a budget. It means we ought to know what's coming in and what's going out. It means we ought to have a game plan. And here's my experience. In every marriage, there's a saver and there's a spender. God, he puts opposites together just because he has a really sick sense of humor, okay? And probably in your marriage, one of you is a saver and one of you is a spender. And here's what I need you to do if you really want to steward well and live rich is y'all need to get together and love each other and lean into the strengths that one another bring to the table and get on a budget and make in that budget, all of you savers that try to squeeze the life out of the rest of us, okay, who live with no joy and no happiness, okay? All of you Ebenezer Scrooges out there, okay, just listen, have a little category of miscellaneous. Yes, it's okay. All right, it's okay. But get together, lean in to the one who loves life recklessly and the one who hates life (laughs) strategically, (laughs) all right? Get together, build a budget, work it out because who would build a tower without knowing on the front end if they had enough money to finish it on the back end? You need to plan. And I, I think that's, that's a really wise principle for this reason. Listen to me carefully. Those of us that make $43,000 or more a year and we're in the top 3% of earners globally, listen to me, we don't, have an, we don't have an earning problem, we have a spending problem. The United States in general, okay? I don't know if you've paid attention to what's happened with our government. We don't have an earning problem, we have a spending problem. And and the only way you can truly be a good steward of what our owner has graciously entrusted you through your hard work and the talents that he's entrusted to you is to have a game plan, build a budget, know what's going out, 
know what's coming in. Secondly, write this down. Build without the burden of debt. Build without the burden of debt. Again, you look at our society and man, we're so blessed, but typically we spend at what we make or for many people, they spend more than they make. Whether it's wrong expectation, not enough margin, the game of comparison, we're trying to keep up and we want things and sometimes we want things too soon and we sacrifice the future for the present and we end up getting ourselves in a lot of debt and a lot of trouble. And I just want you to know God's design for you is to live without debt. And, and I know there, there can be um, the type of debt like a mortgage where you're, you're building equity and value. And I, I understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about things like credit cards, a lot of times automobiles even. It's just, it's so easy for us to take on debt instead of doing what we know we can and should do than God's told us to. Let me, let me give you a few Proverbs here. One Proverb, one, one verse from Romans. Proverbs 22, just as the rich rule the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. Here's what Paul said in Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Now, now here's the thing. We have lost in our society the notion that affording a payment is not the same thing as affording a product. And everything in our society is driven toward payment. I don't know if you've ever been to buy a car, which I have, without taking on a payment, it blows these people's minds. I've literally been in conversations with people, they don't know what to do. All right, what number, what can I get you in on a payment? I don't want a payment. Well, no, you want a payment. Trust me, you want a payment. I'll get you in a payment. What, what number do you want? I don't want, a, I don't want a model payment. I just got, you know, here's what I have to spend. I don't have a lot. I don't need a fancy car. I just, here's what I have. I have a little, well, you know, if you put that as a down payment, we did this, we put you in here and it's only this and that. And then you'd be driving out of here with a Lamborghini. <laughs> so what number, what number would that say? I do not want a number. <laughs> Here is what I have to spend. I said that to a person one time. I'm not kidding you. The person said to me, said, you know what? I've never dealt with anybody like you before. <laughs> like you never had anybody come in and just say, this is what I can afford to give you. I think we have a generation coming up that thinks if you can afford the payment, you can afford the product. Listen to me. Those are two different things. Because most of the time that payment's not free. There's a, little, there's a little thing attached to it called interest. In fact, I learned this as a freshman in college, okay? I think it's a little different now, but I tell you, when I was a freshman in college, I don't know why, this just happened, okay? Here, here's what I'll never forget. I got in the mail, a freshman in college, okay? I worked very part-time in between classes at Taco Bell for $4.25 an hour. Can I get an amen? Anybody work $4.25 an hour? Come on. Okay, that's right. Somebody just say amen, that's like 12 years old. You ain't working no 425 an hour. You're getting like $15 an hour. I don't want to hear it. All right, no, I'm teasing. Okay, listen. So I'm making $4.25 an hour. I'm working, I don't know, 12 hours a week, maybe. I'm going to school full-time. I'm a freshman. I'm 17, I was actually a freshman at 17 years old. 17-year-old kid working at Taco Bell, making $4.25 an hour at 10 or 12 hours a week. And then I get in the mail this wonderful piece of paper that said, we can help you discover. You see what I did there? Come on, people. I worked on that all week. Come on. All right, thank you. 
we can help you discover $5,000 on this card. And I got, I got excited. I'm like, these kind people <laughs> are trying to help out this poor college student. I had nothing, you know? And so, of course, being a wise, godly, aspiring pastor, I got it. And I was like... <laughs> This is amazing. I mean, like I got, I got a $5,000 limit. I didn't make $5,000 a year, but I was pumped. You know what I mean? Because I was 17, 18 years old and those tacos weren't free even though I worked there and I was hungry and everybody needs a little fourth meal. And when I didn't have the money, I had this really sweet offer from these people at Discover. And you know what I learned? That $10 value meal four months later wasn't $10 anymore. And in the fine print, there was this little thing that said 22% interest because they were so kind um, to give me that money, to get me into that payment at 22% interest. And I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, that's a pretty stupid way to live your life. And affording a payment and affording a product are two different things. And, and here's God's design, that, that we build on the foundation of a budget with the understanding we're stewards on owners and we build without the burden of debt. I just want you to understand in most cases, okay, debt is a burden at a percentage that will rob you of financial freedom for many years to come. And I, I know there's a better way. The scripture talks about it. And I wanna challenge you, if you're in that situation today, to do whatever you have to do to get in a situation you can live without that burden. It'll change your life. Listen, I, I wanna encourage some of you to do what I did for many, many, many years, and that's drive a hoopty. Did anybody else drive a hoopty around here? Anybody know what a hoopty is? Do, do we not do hoopty? Yeah, let's go! I got one person, yes. Oh, man. Listen, if you haven't driven a car with 275,000 miles on it, you don't know what you're missing out on. All right? You don't know what you're missing. If you've never gotten in a car every day on your way to work not knowing if you would get there, you don't know. You don't know what it means to live on the edge. If you've never driven a car without power windows or power locks, you don't know what you're missing out on. How do you think I got these biceps? <laughs> Listen, do what you got to do. You know how Dave Ramsey says, if you know who Dave Ramsey is, okay, remember when we think about financial, there's Jesus and then Dave, okay, that's kind of how this thing works, all right? But I love what he says, I do, I love it. You gotta live like nobody else for a season so you can live like nobody else later. And um, <laughs> I've lived like nobody else. Driven a hoopty. <laughs> Had a very limited out to eat budget. I'm just saying you do what you have to do to reap the rewards that the Lord has for you, because here's the thing. He's the owner, we're the stewards. We can steward it best when we build on a budget, we build without the burden of debt. And then finally make a note of this, okay? We build with a strategy. Then here's our strategy of giving, saving, and then spending in this order. In this order, giving, saving, spending. That's the game plan. 
I don't know why so many today feel like, you know what, they're just going to get rich quick. Like, I, they're, like we, there are exceptions. I understand there are exceptions. You know, I, I, we all know that person that invested $100 in Apple when Apple stock first came out, and now they're worth a trillion. Okay, we all know that person. Or at least they say that's what they did. <laughs> okay, we all know, okay, there are, there are exceptions. I get it. Maybe you're an exception. I think that's awesome. Uh, listen, but for most of us, listen to me. Here's the biblical model. You work hard, you work over time, you steward appropriately, and you build wealth the older you get and the longer you live. And you get to a place at some point in your life when you can retire, which by the way, most of the world can't do, but you can if you manage to steward wisely what we have in our society. And then all that you have is spent on your grandchildren. That's the goal. But it happens over time. Here's what the Proverbs say, Proverbs 13. Check this out. I love this proverb. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. You know what the Hebrew word is for get-rich-quick schemes? There's a word in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew is pampered chef. That's what it, that's what it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, I am just, I don't want to see any emails about pampered chef. I'm just kidding, okay? Actually, the Hebrew word is Mary Kay. Okay, so, okay, I'm just kidding. Okay. So this notion in our society that like I can do something and then boom, I'm going to be wealthy. I'm just telling you again, that's the exception, not the rule. You know what the rule is? Work hard. You know what the rule is? Manage well. You know what the rule is? Live with margin. Don't fall prey to the game of comparison. Don't carry wrong expectation. Build a budget, build without the burden of debt, and then listen to me very, very carefully. Embrace these three things. This is it right here. Giving, saving, spending. Number one, giving. Can I just remind you, we live in an upside down kingdom. God's economy is not the world's economy. You know what Jesus says? It's better to give than receive. And part of the reason we build wealth over time is so we can give it away because you'll never have more fun using money than giving it away. That doesn't make sense to the world. The world says he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not God's economy. And, and our, our kingdom is an upside down kingdom and it doesn't make sense in the wisdom of the world. And so listen to me very, very carefully. Here's, here's, if you truly want financial freedom and, and you want the very best that God has for you as the owner who's blessing and providing for those of us who are stewards, listen, it starts with giving. You say, that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. Then why are you telling me to do it? Because it works. Well, why does it work? Because God's economy is not our economy. Here's what the Proverbs say, honor the Lord, check this out, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, the first part, the first fruits, right? Like the very first thing you should do when you get paid every week, every other week, every month, how often you're paid, right? Is, is to honor the Lord with that. That'd be the first thing you do with the best, the first, okay? And then check this out. And then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Okay, so you're telling me if I give, the Lord will bless more in abundance than if I don't? Yes. You say, how does that work? Because God's math is not our math. Amen. He has his own math. 
And his math, praise the Lord, is not the Pythagorean theorem. His math is the more you give, the more he blesses. That's his math. And it works. I'm telling you it works, okay? Proverbs 11, look at this. Give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. This is God's economy. And can I just tell you from personal experience, my wife and I have lived this, okay? When we first got married, you know, we, uh, um, we went through school and then, and then I was still doing my, my graduate program and, and God calls to our first little pastor. I made $19,000 a year, as I've told you before, we lived in this little parsonage. The water line for the bathroom had been run off the kitchen and you couldn't wash the dishes and take a shower at the same time. But we were grateful, we loved it. $19,000 a year. We didn't go out to eat. You know what a bit, I mean, this is the absolute truth. I'm talking big spending bonanza in my house at the time was rolling down to Wendy's, baby. It was a good Friday night. If I could get a single with cheese. Most of the time I couldn't get it with cheese. But when I could get the single with cheese, man. I mean, that was us. We didn't go out to eat. We didn't have a phone. Didn't have a television. We drove hoopties. <laughs> man, we loved it. But, but I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, man, $19,000 a year. And then, and then um, we had two precious babies. Not same time, we're not that crazy. But we had, we had two babies and um, I'm trying to do side jobs. I'm taking 15, 18, 20 hours of master's level work, you know, and we're paying for my school as I go. And man, I'm just telling you, it was hard. It was really, really, really hard. And just to be perfectly honest with you, man, there were moments we weren't tithing, we weren't giving. You said, well, you were a pastor. Yeah, but I mean, I had four mouths to feed and I, you know, we were just struggling. I mean, we were trying to figure it all out. I mean, I was 20 something, I mean, early 20, you know, we we're trying to figure it out just like everybody else. And I'll never forget, my wife and I made the commitment, you know, we were like, hey, this, you know, the Lord just convicted our hearts, not because I'm a pastor, just because I'm a Christ follower. We love Jesus. and um. We thought, man, we get, you know, one of the very few places in the scripture the Lord says, put me to the test is in this area. And we said, you know what? We gotta, we're gonna honor the Lord no matter what. And I'll tell you, the first thing we did when we got our few dollars every week was we gave to the Lord. In those days, we had to write a check. And we started doing that. And you guys, let me just tell you, this is just a testimony. The Lord provided for us in ways that makes zero sense from a human level. We'd have stuff happen, you know, like I'd have to get a tire, two tires on a car, you know, something happened. And then I'm not kidding you. We would get in the mail, like one, one time this happened, we got in the mail a check from the government of all places said, you actually paid too much in taxes and, and here's an additional refund you should have received. I mean, it came like in the fall, like random, boom. And it just, to, just happened to be right the amount we needed to put the tires on the car. We had people coming by our home. I'm not kidding you. We're getting late into the week, you know, and like we're down to ramen noodles now, you know, and we're just literally, I mean, I mean, there were days, honestly, like, I mean, we didn't have, we, had, we didn't have hardly anything to eat. And, and um, we'd have some sweet members of our church come by with bags. Of, I mean, I'm talking like they went to the store and got groceries and brought them to the house and just said, hey, the Lord put you on our heart. We just want to bless you. I don't know if you can use these. <laughs> yeah, we can use them. <laughs> you know, you got any Captain Crunch with crunch berries in there? I got a... You know, you're hoping at that point, oh, I hope they're not raisin bran people, you know. <laughs> whenever, whenever the Lord provides somebody bring you groceries, you don't want, that's when you don't want the organic people. All right, so uh, 
You know, you don't want to, I don't want any quinoa in here, okay? Like, I'm hungry. So, all right. Boy, I'm going to get a lot of emails this week. All right. Whew. All right. But, I mean, I, listen, I can't even tell you, like, I can't even tell you, you ever, if, that, if that's ever happened to you, you close the door and you go into your kitchen with two bags of groceries when you didn't have anything. I just, I mean, if you've never had that moment of God providing for you, I don't even know what to tell you. It's just, it's overwhelming, you know? I mean, we had people bring vegetables from their garden. I mean, I'm, like, listen, we'd get checks and mail from people that we hadn't seen in five, 10 years. People like from our home churches we grew up with, we hadn't talked to in forever and said, hey, I'm not, this happened. I'm not kidding you, this happened. Like we get a little card in the nose, say, hey, I, you know what? Well, I was just thinking of you. Just you were on our heart and just, and here's a hundred dollars. And a hundred dollars for us was a million dollars. And I'm just telling you, it happened. And we started giving, we didn't give to get. I mean, we were just giving because the Lord, we knew, God, you blessed us so much. We felt so blessed to be where we were at that season of our lives, you know, we had so little and, and we weren't faithful with it. And in the beginning, we were struggling. And then we said, you know what, God, we're gonna put you to the test. We're gonna honor you. We're gonna be, be a people who give and cultivate generosity. And what the Lord did from that day forward is unbelievable. And some of you have a similar testimony. And if you don't have that testimony, let me just say, I hope you don't get to a point where you need two bags of groceries. And if you do, call me and I will bring Captain Crunch with crunch berries <laughs> and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> but I, I just want you to know God's faithful to provide. You say, well, man, how does he do that? Um, excuse me, he's the, he's the owner. Let me ask you again, you think, you think it's a big deal for the God of this universe to throw you a few bags of groceries? You think God can't move in the human heart to provide for what you need when you're trying to steward appropriately what he's given to you? And so here's what my wife and I do now. We don't write checks anymore, <laughs> but um, we, we set up recurring giving here at Bell Shoals. We give to other places, but this is our primary place of giving. And um, it comes out automatically. And uh, we thank the Lord for his provision and grace and we give, that's our commitment. Every single week that the Lord provides a paycheck, the first fruits of what we have goes back to him and the ministry that he's called us to. And if that's not where you are today, you start there. Giving, secondly, quickly, saving. All right, let me give you one proverb. Proverbs six, okay, Proverbs six, saving. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor to rule or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer. Watch this, gathering food for the winter. Sometimes we don't do well enough gathering food for the winter. Here's the thing, winter's coming. At some point, you're going to need a new set of tires. At some point, you're going to have an issue with your house. At some point, your teenager is going to run over your mailbox and you're going to have to replace it. Hypothetically. <laughs> and here's God's design for you. Look at the ant. You live with enough savings. You live with enough margin. You can cover that. All right. And then lastly, spending. Here, here's, the, here's, here's the deal. This is radical. Okay. Proverbs 21. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So here's a principle. You spend only what you make. Giving, saving, spending. What does a fool do? I told you last week, a fool is not someone who lacks intelligence. A fool is someone who's not living out God's design. And a fool spends everything they get. That's not God's design. And so if we, if we lean into God's design, here's what happens. As the owner... <laughs> Man, he's freed up to do whatever he needs to do. You say, is that really a biblical principle? Uh, yeah, have you read the parable of the talents? The one 
who managed well what he received was given more to manage. And, um, and here, here's why this is such a big deal, because as we're living life and as we take ownership of what the Lord's provided in the sense that we stewarded as he's taught us, right? Like we, we're not victims here. We, we have a responsibility as we steward that well, here's what happens. We're freed up over time to experience the greatest joy there is with our money and that's the joy of giving. And next Sunday night, I really hope you'll be here for a combined campus celebration because I'm gonna lay out a vision for the next seven years. And can I just tell you something, Bell Shoals? I believe our best days are yet to come. And we're gonna be a church on mission and we're gonna be a church that's reaching the lost. We're gonna be a church that's for our community. We're gonna be a church that's gonna continue to make a difference. And by the way, one of the things I'm gonna lay out for you is we're gonna be a church in the near future that's debt free. And, um, and we're going to, right? We're gonna collectively free up as many dollars as we can to make an impact for King Jesus. And um, I'm excited about that. And so individually and collectively, God has a plan, he's got a design. And when you lean into it, 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 it's just, it's the best thing there is. And when you learn to live as God has called you to live, to manage how God's leading you to manage, here's the thing, there you will find what it means to be rich, to live rich to feel rich. And that's my hope for every single one of you, all right?